I should have had more foresight to put the pictures on the screen behind me. I can show you afterwards if you're really interested. Jaden was spinning a piece of wood on the lathe, and Adria, our youngest, was sanding um, a cutting board that somebody uh, that Rolna's dad knows had made, and she was putting the finishing touches on it. And I was in the garage just hanging out with them, and I decided it was my turn to take some time on the lathe. And so I took this piece of wood, and I set it up, and I started to carve it down, and and I showed the kids what it was, and I said, what do you think it is that daddy's making? And both the two young kids in the garage rolled their eyes, and they said, you're making a spanking spoon. <laughs> so I was getting it really good. The handle was just nice. I took it off the lathe and started to sand out the bowl. And then it came time to scoop out the middle so I could actually use this thing like a spoon. And I was pretty excited about it. I knew that in Rolna's parents' house in the basement was a spoon carving set that we'd given to Rolna's dad the Christmas before. And like most gifts that we give to our fathers in life, it was perfectly new in the box and had never been touched. And so I went and got this, this carving set and pulled out the gouge and pulled off the tape on the end of the blade, and it was razor sharp. And I started to scoop out the bowl of this spoon. And as I did, I realized that with the wood being maple, it was going to be really hard just to gouge it out. And so I put more effort into the piece of wood that I was carving. And as I did, the knife skipped off the spoon and went directly into the pad of my thumb between my thumb and my pointer finger. And I shouted out like all good pastors do, not a curse word, but maybe another word. And I just said, Mama! And I held my hand and I looked up and both kids' eyes were like this big looking at me. And I peeled it back and I believe what I saw was the fat of my thumb in this monster wound. And it was like, oh my goodness. So I grabbed a paper towel and put it on. Adria was extremely concerned for me. And I said the next best thing after that. I said, don't tell your mother. <laughs> and so I'm holding my wound and it's gushing pretty good. And Adria, like a good daughter, ran inside and tattletailed on me and told Ralna that I'd cut my hand. My father-in-law came out and said, I want to see it. And I said, no way. He says, show me the wound. And I said, not a chance. And he said, let me see it. And so I pulled the paper towel off and it's, it's sticking at this point. And I show him and he said, oh yeah, you got to go to the hospital and get that stitched up. I said, well, I don't want to. And he says, you have to. I said, no, I'm not going to the hospital. And he says, well, at least go inside and wash it off. And so I went inside the house, turned the cold water on, put my hand underneath, and shot straight through the ceiling and said, okay, let's go. So over to the hospital we go, Fort St. John uh, Hospital, brand new. We're sitting in the waiting room, and the nurse is going around and asking us why we're there. One guy was having a heart attack in the corner, so we thought. Another girl thought she was pregnant. Another person was there for some cancer treatment. And she says, and why are you here? And I held up my hand and she says, oh yeah, you cut yourself. So finally I get into the room. I was a low priority that day. I get into the room to see the doctor and he was an amazing man, South African doctor, the best accent in the world. Maybe other than Ireland where my ancestors came from, but like South Africans are the best, right? The friendliest doctors, the best doctors. He peels back the paper towel that I had on it. And he looks at it and he says, oh yeah, we got to stitch that up. And I said, really? You can't just put across those like butterfly bandages or glue it or whatever? And he looks at it and he says, well, it's right on the edge. And he's holding it open and I'm trying not to cry. 41-year-old man ready to weep at the table because of a cut. And he's like, well, he says, what do you do for a living? And I was like, oh, I hate that question. Because oftentimes it leads to awkward conversation, right? 
So he said, well, actually, I'm a pastor. He says, really? He says, okay, I'll tell you what. He says, I'll glue it, but you have to promise me this. He's like, when you go back home to Lethbridge and you go to church, take it easy on this stuff. <laughs> and so I said, okay. And he glued me shut. I went back out to the waiting room and picked up my father-in-law. He was laughing at me. And we go out to our truck and we're driving home. And he says, what happened anyway? He said, well, you know, I said, I was gouging out the spoon and and I, it was hard wood, so I went in really hard, and it went into the pad of my thumb. And he said something to me that he often says when I spend time with my father-in-law in the garage. He started to laugh, and he looked at me, and he said, well, next time you're in there, why don't I show you the better way? And it's so often the case that when I spend time with my father-in-law, he has enlightened my mind to show me the better way of either working with tools, or he's been an alliance pastor for 40 years, now he's a principal in a Christian school, whether it's pastoring or fathering or, or husbanding or whatever the case might be, my father-in-law has been so good at saying to me, why don't I show you the better way? And as I tell you that story and we come to the conclusion of the better way, it's, I think it's appropriate because this morning as we continue on in our series in John chapter 3, in the series called The Nearest and Dearest, Jesus is going to come and he's going to say to us, let me show you the better way. And so if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them to John chapter 3. We're going to kind of do a 30,000-foot survey of this passage, the first two-thirds of this chapter, and talk about the comparison and the contrast of the religious life to a relational life with Jesus. And we're not going to read all of it here this morning, but I do want to work it through and talk to us about how we can be nearest and dearest to Jesus, how we can develop close and intimate relationship with Him, and how it starts with relationship and being born again. And so if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. But as you turn there, I just want to encourage you that as we talk this through, if you remember nothing else this morning, I would love for you to lean in with me right now and hear one thing. And that would be as people, whether we're searching for Jesus or we've been a Christian for a long time or we're somewhere in the middle, as people who desire to walk more closely with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that relationship all starts when we humbly acknowledge our sin and repent of it and come to Jesus and express our need for relationship with Him. If we can acknowledge that outside of submitting to Him and outside of obeying Him, there is nothing that we bring to the table when it comes to relationship with, with Him and the foundation of that, and we can acknowledge, then we can acknowledge that the abundant life begins and ends with Jesus. And that will help us to understand the essence of this message here today. So we desire to be people who are near and dear to the one who desperately loves us. It requires a posture of submission, of admitting our weakness, and not relying upon a strength or something that we do to qualify us for that relationship. This passage starts with two distinct characters in Nicodemus and Jesus. And as it does, we read here in verse 1 these words. John chapter 3, verse 1. I'd encourage you to follow along together. It says, Now there was this Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus was a fascinating man, and in fact, he was a very good man. 
and from all accounts and from all suggestions here, he was a man who on the outside appeared to be getting everything right. He was a Pharisee. He was a pious man who devoutly committed his life to religion, and everything he did from the outside um, looking in, or from the inside looking out, rather, pointed that this man had it figured out. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, that eventually would go on to try Jesus and send him to the cross. And, and as such, he was a man that strived in life uh, to do everything right, to make himself good enough to have a relationship with God. And so he looked the part. He wore the right clothes. He adhered to the right laws. He ate the right food. He said the right things. He kept the right audience. He did everything right to suggest to the world and to, the, and to, and to God himself that he was worthy of that relationship. And he toiled at it. He committed his life to it. It says here in verse 2, a verse that I've often skipped over, that that as he was, it says, now there was this Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, a really right, pious man, it says he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. And it's an interesting statement that's made here. Because as I've often skipped this over, but then took time to study it this week, it really speaks to the nature of religion, what takes place in Nicodemus's life. Nicodemus, scholars say, had spent all day doing the right things. He had spent all day hanging out with the right people, quoting the right verses, eating the right food, wearing the right clothes, debating the right conversations, and saying the right things. And at the end of it all, he comes to this realization that there's something even more that he's missing. When it says he came to Jesus at night, it's not something that we can just breeze over and pass by. There's something significant here, and it's a posture of wanting. It's a posture of understanding that Jesus had more, and he could, he could receive it, he could embrace it, and he could experience it. It'd be very easy for us to look at this passage and say, well, that was over 2,000 years ago. That was Nicodemus. That was, that was this righteous man. And what they did, we don't experience anymore. But the, the essence and the nature of religion is it's something that we always fight with as believers and people who wrestle with the flesh. As believers, we're always believing that we are God's ourselves at the core of who we are. And we believe that somehow we need to do something to qualify ourselves or make, self, make ourselves to be right and good with God. And so very similarly... The things that we say, the audiences we keep, the things that we consume, the, the postures that we have, oftentimes are things that we do to try to make ourselves look worthy to another audience. And we wrestle with this. We toil with this all of the time. Even this morning, I went into my closet and I'm picking out clothes to wear this morning. And I'm thinking to myself, well, good preachers have to look the part. They can't just get up there and scrub clothes. They've got to wear maybe a collared shirt and a jacket. Uh, maybe they've got, to, they've got to say the right things. Even this morning, I wrestled with this. And Jesus is saying, there's a better way. There's another way forward. You don't have to wrestle there anymore. So often in the Christian life and the Christian faith, we try to earn our way towards relationship with God. We try to do the right things to make ourselves good people. And as, as Nicodemus has experienced this, as he walks through it day in and day out, and in the case of this day, he comes to the end of it like we so often do, wanting and looking for more. 
That religious system was a system based on good works. It was a system that was a part of the culture, and it was a system that as he wrestled with, we still wrestle with today. It was about power and control. It wasn't about weakness and submission and humility and faith and grace. It was about power and control and, and money and other things. And for Jesus, he just says, that was a broken way of living. He says, there's something that more that I have and something more that I want you to find. And so Jesus goes on and, and invites Nicodemus and he invites us into relationship. He says, I've come to give you a better way and I've come to help you find that in Jesus' name. I've got to be honest, friends. If the Christian life is about looking the part and saying the right things and doing the right things, then I am too weak and I'm too broken, I'm too tired to even bother toiling with that anymore. If it's about standing in front of you and sounding smart and looking smart, which I realize I've already accomplished, we've already settled that problem. <laughs> but if, if, if it's about those things and striving to be better, then I'm done, I'm out. I don't have the capacity or the energy to continue to feed into that anymore. And yet daily I wrestle with this. Daily I just find myself saying things like, I just need to or I just have to go to this, or I just have to do that. Trying to please others, trying to look good myself. It's a, it's a system of, of having a mirror in front of us and trying to impress someone, including ourselves, rather than living in relationship with the king. But if, if walking with Jesus, what he's about to invite us into is about admitting our weakness, about linking arms with brothers and sisters in Christ like we do in this church and pursuing Jesus and chasing after Jesus together, then there's a lot of space in the economy and economics of my life to be able to journey and chase and pursue Jesus together. So often in our Christian experience, we believe that this life of religion is one that will get us somewhere. And so even sometimes in the church, we do things like, like read a book or take a course or run a program or, or go to a study or a conference and say, if I just do this, then I can have this. And if Jesus isn't the center of these things that we do, these practices that we have, the postures that we keep, then I'll just be so bold to say that it's all for naught. It's wasted breath. It's wasted energy. It's wasted time. It's wasted effort. But if the things that we do, the things that we say, the responses of our life come because of the things that Jesus has done for us, then there's value in it and there's worth. And here's the crazy part of it all. That so often when we live in relationship with Jesus and when we understand and appreciate what he's done for us, so often the, the transformational work in our life, the physical outpourings of what we become after we receive him as Lord and Savior, sometimes looks like this life that gets presented over here. And so there's this tension. There's this tension of what does the Christian life look like? What should the Christian life be? And I'll resolve the tension right here by saying that if the Christian life, if what this life looks like over here is a reflection of what Christ has done over here and, and that the focus and attention is on Him, then we're moving in the right ways. But if this life and this world is about us, if it's about looking good for you and looking good for me, 
and, and looking good in front of that mirror, then there's a brokenness here. And this is what Jesus speaks into. If you were to look at the central theme of this book of John, the central theme really boils down to one thing, and that is that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of the Almighty God of the universe. And as Nicodemus recognizes this, he looks and Jesus shares with him. He says, Nicodemus, there's a better way. You don't have to toil in this anymore. Instead, you can live in the freedom of relationship and you can embrace it and have it and hold it. He says, there's good news to be had. Nicodemus gets to the end of his day and he realizes that this life is exhausting and depleting. And Jesus says, in verse 3, he says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. And Nicodemus is curious. He's like, well, wait a minute. How, this almost feels like an Aaron question. How can you be born again when you're old? Like, you're not going to go into your mother's womb for a second time. So what in the world are you talking about? And Jesus answered in verse 5, he says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sounds, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The crazy thing is, the life that Nicodemus is looking for in religion, he can find in relationship. And Jesus says what starts it, the foundation of this life, the, the, the beginning point of that trailhead of that journey starts when you're born again. When Jesus calls on us to be born again, the word that he uses there is the Greek, is the word born, and, and the Greek, it's a Greek aortist passive, which is a fancy way of saying something had had to happen to us. And it communicates that it only happens once, and it only comes from God above. Something had to happen to us, and it only happens once, and it comes from God above. And so he invites him into a different paradigm. He invites him into this reality, this hope-filled, dynamic, abundant life that he's going to talk about in a few chapters' time in John chapter 10, verse 10. He invites him into that paradigm, and he says, there's more to come. There's more to have. There's freedom that's in front of you. The chains will come off. But you have to start with relationship, and you have to start with me. You know, you start to think about, about what this is, and this is truly good news. When the angels came in Luke chapter 2, they said, this is good news for all the people. And there's an intentional phrasing in that, because when we look at the life of religion, it's not good news. It's bondage, it's chains, it's brokenness, it's sorrow, because we're never going to be good enough. But if we believe that this is good news and this is from God, then it forever transforms the way that we live. It's powerful, friends. And when we focus on these things, when we realize what Christ has done for us, it almost leaps out of us. We can't help but tell others about it. We can't help but share it. The light of Christ shines through us and into this world, and it seeds hope. It seeds the glory of Jesus. It brings good news to all the people as Christ intended for it to be. Some of the best circles that we've ever traveled in in our Christian experience since we've been married, Roland and I, have come when we've really focused on gospel message. 
when we've sat down in our small groups or when we've been together, when we've driven and worshiped Jesus, when we have prayed, when we've spent time with people, when we've spent time alone, the most dynamic encounters and joyful and light-filled experiences we've had have come as we've focused on the work that Christ has done in us and for us. It radiates, friends. And I could spend time here this morning to say uh, about why I think this is the case, but really my words fall short and Scripture's words just radiate this glory and this truth. Listen to what the Scripture says here. This is good news. It's, it's hope-filled. It's light at the end of the tunnel. It's a mystery, yes, but it's also inspiring. Listen to these words from Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God and not by works, so that no one can boast. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, verse 9. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Psalm chapter 62, verse 1, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. 2 Peter chapter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrated His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 4. Since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. And finally, John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You live this life over here. We live this life over here, friends, and we toil with it all the time. It will never be good news to us because we will always fall short. There's condemnation in the religious way of living. But when we step into relationship, something dynamically changes within us. It becomes good news. It becomes transformational. It's countercultural, and it was countercultural to the religious world that Nicodemus had been a part of. And Jesus lays out this new reality that through relationship with him, when we bow our knee, when we confess our sins, when we repent and turn from it, he says, I will come and, and show you the better way. It's life giving, it's soul transforming, it's future creating, it's light piercing, it's joy giving, and it's a pathway that comes through relationship and submission through the Son of God. And it's received when we humble ourselves and reach out to Jesus and embrace his incredible gift. It's amazing. There's nothing that we've brought to the table that qualifies us for this gift that he gives to us. It's good news for all the people. And so Aaron Moore, in his filthy rags, shows up at the feet of Jesus and holds my hands out and confesses my sin. And in doing so, he says, your, uh, he says, your weakness is made perfect, right? It's when we're weak that he, that he is strong, and he reaches down, and he embraces us, and he holds us, and he keeps us. It's amazing news, and it's the foundation for living nearer and dearer to Jesus. It's the foundation. It's the starting point. It is the embrace of the Father to hold us and allow us to draw us in deeper 
with the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is an amazing story, an amazing reality in our lives. And we realize so often that when this is the focus of the church, when this is the focus of the believer, this is when we start to see amazing things take place. We've been a part, we're, we are in a church where I strongly believe we are a group of people who are chasing after Jesus. And I love that there are passionate circles of people here who are ready to destroy the walls of religion or who have destroyed the walls of religion and who just desperately want to chase after Jesus. We have these amazing circles that people can travel in together whether it's spending time by themselves in, in God's word or getting together with a friend and praying together or journeying in a triad or, or being in a small group or a medium-sized group or coming to church on Sunday mornings, we have many opportunities to point one another towards Jesus and to live in this abundant life that he promises us. When we reach out to Jesus, he receives us. He accomplishes our salvation. And he performs a creative work to give us a new spiritual life, a one-time good-for-eternity entrance into the kingdom of God. And he says to us, I'm going to show you the better way. It's not a life of condemnation, but it's a life of freedom and abundance. It's a life of actually experiencing and knowing what I promised that I was going to bring to you. This was amazing news to Nicodemus. And it was amazing news. It shows us in, the, in this verse that, that he just, he was touched by this. He was hungry for this. He was transformed by it because he saw the folly and the weakness of the life he was living, like we so often do today. And he found rest and hope in Jesus. A number of years ago, uh, 2010, uh, we were pastoring in, in BC, as many of you know. And on this one Sunday, we, well, every Sunday, we had two services. We had um, what we called the contemporary service at 9 o'clock, and it was very similar to this. Uh, just a whole swath of different people, from young to old and everybody in between. It was a wonderful service. And then we had a second service that was also wonderful, but it was quite different. It was called the traditional service. And so in the first service, we'd have a couple hundred people show up. In the second service, for whatever reason, we had about 40 people that would come. And in a room almost exactly the same as this one, those 40 people would sit at the back two rows, or we had pews there, the back two pews, and we would just have our service together. It really was a wonderful spot, wonderful people. But the median age of that gathering was about 75 years old. It wasn't a young crowd. If you're over 75, I apologize. I still think you're young. <laughs> so I'm in this series on marriage, and on this particular Sunday, I'm preaching on intimacy in marriage. So it's awkward. Don't get me wrong. When pastors preach on this, it's awkward for them too. And I'm at the front sweating buckets. And as I'm sweating buckets, I look up and a 22-year-old girl walks in in the back. And literally from the pulpit, I tip my head back and I was like, oh, of all the times to come to church, why did you pick this one? So Carmen sits in the back and I preach the message. And I preach Jesus because I was told and I was taught that any message that doesn't preach the name of Jesus is a, is a message not worth preaching. And so, ever since, I've lived the conviction, we have to preach Christ. And I preach Jesus, and after I'm done, I walk up the floor, and for a variety of reasons, some of which I can tell you after, I had seniors coming up to me like, listen, let me tell you about intimacy. And I was like, I don't want to go there. 
So as I'm at the back door shaking hands, Carmen comes over and she shakes my hand and she said, that was amazing. I said, well, it wasn't me, it was Jesus. She said, I need to talk to you more about this. Can I come see you tomorrow? Well, I didn't sleep a wink that night. I'm thinking, oh man, what have I got myself into? Like, I preached an awkward topic, but I preached Christ. I didn't know what she wanted. And she came in the back doors of the church, and, and I just didn't know. So the next day, I had a couple appointments with seniors to explain some things to me. And then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Carmen comes into the church. I was nervous all day. And she walked into my office and closed the door and she sat down and she said, I need to tell you about my life. And for the next number of minutes, Carmen started to outline things for me. She'd grown up in a faith tradition that was extremely works-based. You had to earn your way into heaven. And in growing up in this tradition, she always had fallen short. She was never good enough. She was never pretty enough. She never said the right things. She never hung out with the right people. And she always felt like she was unworthy. And in a desperate attempt to find worth and embrace and belonging, she started to sell herself on the streets of Kelowna and Penticton. This broken girl is pouring out her guts in front of me and sharing with me how she just longed for more and she'd started to listen to gospel music in the summer and had realized that Jesus had a better way. And in coming to church in an extremely awkward message about intimacy, God had revealed himself to her again and invited her into relationship. And I was just a young, foolish, bumbling, buffoon pastor who looked at her and I said, then Carmen, you need to invite Jesus into your heart. And so today I'm going to invite you to, to do that. Would you like to pray alongside of me? And she looked at me and I couldn't believe it. She said, no. I was like, the table was perfectly set. What do you mean, no? She said, Aaron, I have some things that I've got to work out first. I've got to straighten my life out. I've got to get a job. I've got to earn some money. I've got to hang out with better people. I've got to do the right thing before I can come to God. And I looked at her and I said, Carmen, if you're going to wait, you're never going to arrive. Because, yeah, you've done some stuff in life, but listen, so have I. And my story really before God is no different than yours. And so if you're going to wait, you're never going to get to this spot because you're not, you're never going to be good enough. It's a broken system. Jesus invites the sinner to come and to sit at his feet and to receive him. And so Carmen, I'm going to ask you again, and I want you to understand that you're never going to be good enough. And so will you just be a sinner, but then be a sinner who's saved by grace? And she said, okay. And so that day, in Penticton, British Columbia at 197 Brandon Avenue, Carmen invited Jesus into her heart. And as she prayed, you could literally hear the oxygen come into her body. It was like a, an, a huge inhale. And her life was changed. And you know what? It never became perfect. She still struggled. She still toiled. There were still things about her life that were difficult. But even since we've moved here every year, she reaches out to me and she says, do you remember that 10 years ago, that day in your office, life was forever changed? Look, friends, I get it. All of us are struggling and toiling and, and fighting in this world to step up in life and to step out in life. 
We're all trying to do the next best thing and, 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 and set a new course for life and whatever that means for you. But Jesus says this way of living, it's broken. He says, I have so much more. And so he invites us into this better spot. And maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're, you're looking into Jesus or, or, or you've been fighting in that spot and, and, and you're done with it. Like you're too weary, you're too tired, you're too broken to bother with that anymore. I want to suggest to you that Jesus has this invitation where he just says, come. Where he says, come to me, all you who are weary, and what? I will give you rest. That yoke that Jesus puts on our shoulders, that invitation that he gives to us, it's light, it's joyful, it's delightful, but we only receive it when we humble ourselves. And when we just come and say, you know what, I'm not perfect. I haven't got it all right. I'm not, well, if you're an Oilers fan, you're definitely not hanging out with the right people. <laughs> if, if, if you're, you know, we're not right, we're not perfect, we're never going to get it right, Jesus says, just come. Just, just receive the gift. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever, whoever, you're not disqualified, it, you're actually more qualified, whoever believes in him shall receive eternal life. The Bible's very clear that if we want to live in the abundance of the kingdom of God, that it starts with a relationship. And so if you're here today, and the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart that this is the next step for you, whether it's the first step in your journey or it's the next step uh, that in, in, a, in a long journey that you've already been on. I want to encourage you that today's the day where you can take a fresh start. I'm going to assume that there's some of us here this morning that need to start this for the very first time. And so in a few moments, Ron and Sharon are going to be up at the front. These are good people, leaders in our church, part of our prayer ministry here. They would love to explain to you more about what that's all about. For some of us here, we've prayed to receive Christ, but we've come back to, to flirt with and to dabble in this religious realm, in this religious area. And for you this morning, maybe it's just that you need to say, I'm done with that way of living. And I'm going to make myself available. And I'm going I'm to come and sit at Jesus' feet in a fresh way. Ron and Sharon would love to pray with you. Friends, there is a differentiating reality between the religious life and the relational life. And Jesus invites us and shows us the better way. And so as people who long to be nearer and dearer to Jesus, I'm going to invite us to look at and consider the freshness of the relational life that Jesus has for us. And this week, to embrace it, to hold it, to chase after Jesus, and to have it in Jesus' name. To close our service, I'm going to pray. Ron and Sharon are going to come forward here. And as they do, maybe you just need to do the same yourself. Maybe you need to come and just spend a couple of moments with them. You know, we're aware in church that oftentimes when the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts, if we don't respond quickly, that sometimes when we leave the, the doors of this place, that that prompting can go away. And it's not because this is a special place or because of anything else. It's just the human nature. Sometimes we, we move on to the next thing. And I would encourage you that today, maybe in a fresh way, before you move on to the next thing, you need to come and do, and do some business with God. Whether it's with Ron and Sharon or I'd make myself available afterwards or you're even just stay in your seat. Today, Jesus is inviting you to enter the kingdom of God in a fresh way. We don't lose our salvation. 
but we can gain our salvation when we come to him. And I'd encourage you to consider that and invite you to either come forward or pray where you are. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness in our lives. We thank you that you died on the cross for our sins. And Jesus, as we're here this morning, we confess to you that so often in life we try to do things to impress uh, you and try to impress others. And Father, as we consider that, we just confess before you that there is a brokenness in that way of living in the Christian experience in the Christian life. Father, I thank you that you have broken us free um, from the bondages of religion and you've invited us into a better way in the relationship life with Jesus. And Father, I pray that you'd give us courage today to embrace that relational life in a fresh way. For some of us, maybe it comes and that this is the first time we're going to give Jesus a, a chance. We're going to come and confess our sins before Jesus and we're going to receive Jesus in Jesus' name. For others of us, who are maybe already Christians. Maybe we just need to come and say, you know what, Jesus? I just need to push reset or restart. And I'm not going to earn my salvation again or I'm not going to gain salvation again, but I'm just going to come and, and start to do things a little different in life. Father, give us courage to set aside the expectations of others or even our own expectations in our heart and, and give us courage to step into that relational spot with you. We love you, Lord Jesus, and as people who desire to have impact in this world and impact in this community, I pray that out of the relationship that we have with you, Lord Jesus, that the light of Christ would shine into the corners of this community, that people, much like Nicodemus, would come out of the woodwork and say, Jesus, I see you at work in so-and-so's life. How can I have you as my own? Use our church, Jesus, we pray. Use our lives, Jesus, we pray. Anoint us for ministry in this community and beyond. And help us to understand the beauty and the depths of the truth, what it means to be born again. Oh, Father, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you for this time we've been able to look into your word. We look forward to what you have for us next. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just as we go, I want to highlight two things that I think are important for us this morning. The first is we want to invite you to come back next Sunday. Salo Neves is going to be here with us. He's our uh, potentially new worship pastor, and we're just looking to Jesus and saying, uh, you know, what would you have us do? And I'm going to look jointly together at, uh, at this calling for worship pastor as a church. So invite you to come and be a part of that. And second, as you're leaving this place this morning and the, the temperatures are rapidly rising, just be careful when you're in the parking lot. It could be quite slippery. We don't want you to fall. And so God bless you as you go. And as you do, let me close with this. Church, let's go and be the church. Let's go and be the hands and the feet of Jesus in a world that desperately needs him. Let's go and be light in darkness as people who are born again in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. We love you so much. Have a good week.